All right, today is the second Sunday of Advent. I want to go to the lectionary readings. But we're not going to go to the lectionary readings because we're still working on the basic principles of Advent that we started like a week ago. Um, if, for those who would like to know the readings today, the first reading is Isaiah 40, 1 through 5 and 9 through 11. The psalm for today is Psalm 85. This, uh, the, uh, the next reading, the second reading, is from uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. And the gospel today is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I would love to read all of those. Again, that's Isaiah 40, 1 through 5, 9 through 11. Uh, Psalm 85, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. And Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. If we can finish what we're working on, we may get to some of those readings because those readings fit perfectly with one of the basic principles of Advent. But as we're looking at the basic principles of Advent, remember we gave, there were four basic principles of Advent. Those basic principles are, what was the first one? Does anybody remember? Hope was the first basic principle. Second, participation or preparation was the second one. Preparation was the second. That's the one we want to get to today because all the readings today fit that base, that second principle, all right? But we don't have time to, we'll see if we can get to it. The third is anticipation where we spent the first hour on and what we did is because the, the handbook that I'm using doesn't really have an entry for anticipation, we use the word waiting or wait because, well, that's anticipation is connected with it. And then the fourth uh, principle is joy. Those are the four basic principles principles of Advent. So if you consider those four basic principles, all of them would then, we could, we could state it this way, that as believers, we are to develop and understand the idea of having hope, not only in the first coming, that it did occur, but hope in the second coming, that Christ will return. Obviously, your hope in the second will greatly de- determine how much you truly hope and believe in the first. And we're seeing a kind of a, a concept developing here in a lot of these Preparation we've not gotten gotten to in any way, shape, or form, but obviously it's the idea that we prepare for the we prepare for the celebration of the first coming, just like there are those who prepared for the first coming, and then we should prepare ourselves somehow spiritually for the second coming. Third, anticipation, as we should then be anticipating, waiting for the celebration of the first coming and for the second coming. And there should be joy in the celebration of the first coming and joy in the second coming. And so we talk, we have talked a little bit about these and tried to develop some basic uh, concepts. I'm not going to go back and review everything we did on hope. We spent a lot of time on that. We have found ourselves struggling, though, in the first hour with this idea of anticipation. Now, anticipation usually gives more of a positive idea that we are anticipating something in a positive way, but we know you can also be anticipating something in a negative way, all right? But anticipation very much connects with waiting. So the handbook that we're using, they, they took the idea of waiting and they've kind of, they ask a very important question. They've just done a horrible job in answering it, and we're still trying to answer it. So let me ask the question, and this is really what I want you to... I mean, if we don't get any further today, that's okay, because at least I think this is very important for us to consider, all right? Here is the question that I want you to meditate on today, and you can spend all week working on, okay? What are the spiritual benefits 
that we gain or learn by waiting. What is the spiritual benefit? What do we spiritually gain by learning to wait? So far, they haven't really given us a definitive answer or an answer that I'm, I'm happy with, all right? So waiting is a, every look, Christian, non-Christian, old, young, doesn't matter. Everyone understands waiting, correct? Some people have no problem waiting. Some people have a problem with waiting, right? You don't know? What, what? do I have a problem with waiting? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. But, but waiting is, is, I think everyone has their different approach to it. Now the question is, what do you learn from waiting? Right? Now sometimes someone may say, well, what I learned from waiting is I don't like it, I don't want to do it, right? right? Some people may say, well, you, you can develop something. Now the key, we're trying to figure out what is the spiritual benefit in waiting? What is the spiritual benefit in waiting? So this is how the handbook handled it. Their first thing they took us to was Genesis 29, and we threw that reference out because we didn't feel like it was any benefit. Uh, it was Genesis 29, 20, where it speaks of Jacob having to work seven more years in order to get Rachel, but the text seems to imply, and even the, the handbook admits, he actually gets her a week later. So, I mean, that's not much waiting. You know what I'm saying? They had to work another seven years, but he actually gets her so everyone, I think so many times in the preaching and teaching of that, we, we kind of romanticize it. Like he worked another seven years and there was Rachel. He saw her every day and he's like, oh, but it's only a short time because I like, he waited a week. All right. So calm down. Okay. All right. Okay, don't just keep it in perspective. Okay. So I don't think that helped us very much. Now, the principle they wanted us to derive is that willing, the willingness to wait confirms to us the importance of an object or a person. So they wanted us to take a principle that our willingness to wait shows us what's really important. Now that, that sounds good. I just don't know how that transfers over spiritually, right? Because, okay, I'm waiting for God, so this shows me how important God is to me. The only problem is, we're, we're living our life, right? I, we, we, I, don't, I know we like to say we're waiting, but I don't know how much we're really waiting. We typically just live our life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't know what to do with that. So we set it aside for now. We set it aside. We didn't really like that one. And then the second principle was derived from Psalm 27. Everybody can look at verse 14. Psalm 27, verse 14, really quick. So you can at least see it. He mentions wait twice here in Psalms 27, verse 14. All right, everybody see it? I'll read it. Psalm 27, verse 14. I'm in Isaiah for some reason. Okay, let me go to the book of Psalms. I'm going the wrong way. Here we go. Psalm 27. And if you see verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. All right? That's more of an implication to do something. doesn't really give us a lot of information. Here was the principle they took from it. Are you ready? Waiting creates time during which we can trust God. Their argument is waiting creates a situation where we then can trust God because we have this time period. 
I called that into question in the first hour, first hour because I believe this is that kind of cause and effect argument that people always make. I believe I don't I don't believe waiting creates trust. I believe trust has to be present in order for you to wait. Now, you may you you may wait, but if you're going to wait in a positive way, the trust has to be there. Right? If you don't trust in a positive way, how long are you going to wait? Not too long, because you're just going to be like, ah, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind, right? Okay? Yeah, you're going to grumble, complain, you're going to get up, uh, upset, right? Like, if, if, if Eli meets this girl, the girl of his dreams, and he thinks, oh, she's awesome, and she's like, okay, you got to wait seven years for me, right? You got to wait seven years. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And then after a while, he's like, meh. I think she's talking to someone else. I think she's moving on. What's he going to do? He's going to be like, who are you talking about? He's going to forget about her in about a week, right? right? Unless he has complete trust that she's going to what? Be there in seven years, right? You got to have that trust, right? If you don't have the trust, you're not going to wait. So I think the trust comes before the waiting, they're almost arguing the waiting creates a situation where you can trust. But I, 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 I struggle with that one. I struggle with that, with that one. So we, we kind of toss that one. So we, we really still don't have a principle yet. So then I threw out a principle, even though it's not in the book, because, you know, I do that all the time. So my principle was this, as far as Christians, spiritually speaking, is that I believe that as Christians, we have to learn to wait for the right thing or we will end up discouraged, depressed, and possibly calling Christianity into question. And what do I mean by that? Typically, as a Christian, when we are told to wait on God, we're typically told to wait on God as far as, in what way? Wait on God because he's going to fix your circumstance in this life. That's how mo- almost how all Christians talk. I went through it my whole... When I became a Christian, I was told, just wait in God, wait on God and trust in God. He's going to fix your family situation. How well did that work out for me? It did not. Because I did no longer live with my family. I lived with a family about 20 miles down that road on a big ranch in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And then they said, well, just wait on God. He'll fix your situation. Did, was there reconciliation? No, my mom died. When my mom in the hospital, what did they tell me? Wait on God. That it did not work. Then when my dad got cancer, wait, and it, he died. So if you're taught to, we, we, so many times we are taught to wait on God for certain circumstances as if they're going to get better. You're waiting for the wrong thing. What can we wait on? What is definitively promised and given? What is sure? What is absolutely sure for us as Christians? Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. There will be a resurrection. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. When is that going to occur? In the end. Not tomorrow, not next week. And guess what? In your life may be filled with plenty of sorrow, pain, suffering, and death. And if you're waiting on God to intervene there, you're going to be sadly disappointed or you're going to have to create a, a, a reality that doesn't actually exist and you're going to be crazy. Don't do that. So to me, 
I know that's not a principle, but the spiritual benefit, the spiritual lesson I want to gain from waiting is we've got to learn to wait for the right thing. And we wait for what God clearly promises. Because so many times in the church, we're told to wait for a promise that God did not make. And I, and I hate that churches do that. You're always told, wait. And then you're like, wait, what, 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 wait, why, why, why am I waiting for what you're telling me God promised me when God did not promise it? What God promised is I have eternal salvation in Christ Jesus and there'll be a new heaven and a new, and I know that's hard to wait for that because we haven't seen it. And we, we've talked about that principle over and over and over. Just, we've got to learn to wait for the right thing. Waiting for the wrong thing in the wrong time will lead you majorly, majorly disappointed and disillusioned in your Christian life. Does everyone understand that? All right. So none of these are... Now, we can take Psalm 27, uh, 14 and then add that to that, right? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. We, we can wait with good courage, but we're waiting for what? What he ultimately promised, not what we think he should promise. If you're waiting for the wrong thing, will that lead you to good courage? No, it's going to lead you to disappointment, disillusionment, maybe deconstruction. Next thing you know, you're on TikTok making deconstruction videos, right? Because you're just done with Christianity. And I don't blame the people making deconstruction videos on TikTok because you're lied to all the time by the church. Stop waiting for the wrong thing or you'll be disappointed. I can, I can wait for what God clearly has promised. As far as what's going to happen in this life, I think we're almost guaranteed it's going to be filled with what? Sorrow, trial, and tribulation. The life of a believer and the life of an unbeliever are identical when it comes to trial, tribulation, suffering, and pain. There's no difference in Christianity that teaches that there is a difference. They're lying to you. Even Jesus said life will be filled with tribulation. The Bible doesn't, read the stories of everyone in the Bible. Are their lives, does it all work out great for anybody? No, nobody. So why do we pretend otherwise? That, 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 that's detrimental. Okay, let's go to the next principle. I know we don't really have a principle yet, but that's, that's at least I've given you one, right? All right, go to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. I don't know what they're going to do with this one. Let's take a. Look, well, let's read it first, and then you can tell me what you think they want us to learn. All right, here we go. Psalm chapter 40, starting at verse 1. Well, we immediately we know why they're using it, right? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He has put a new song in my heart, my mouth, I should say. Even praise unto our God. Uh, Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Doesn't offer us a lot. Just really, it's more just giving us the fact that David waited, right? It is a psalm of David. This is what they say. You ready? This is their principle. Waiting prepares us to have our real needs met. I don't know about this. 
Waiting prepares us to have our real needs met. Now, again, what are you referencing here? Does waiting prepare us to have our real needs met? I don't know how, I don't know. I'm going to read the paragraph and we'll see what they say. I think this is another one I may throw out. Here we go. This is what they say. You ready? Waiting for God to help us is not easy. We can all say amen to that. But David received four benefits from waiting. They say he receives four benefits from waiting. Look at Psalm 41 through 4 and see if you can find the four benefits that they are going to point to. What do you think they point to? Well, first they say lifted him out of his despair. Two, set his feet on a hard, firm path. Three, steadied him as he walked. And four, put a new song of praise in his mouth. Often blessing cannot be received unless we go through the trial of waiting. What do y'all think about how they approach that text? What do you think? Their argument is those four things are received because he waited. They were the result of his waiting. What do you think? Christians do weird things to the Bible sometimes, and I think this may be an example of one. I don't know. You can tell me what you think. Okay. What do, what do we think? Y- y'all seem hesitant to answer. All right, well, let's go, th- let's go through it. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Now, their way they're reading it almost would imply, why did God hear his cry? Because he waited. So I'm not so sure about that, right? Does there, do you see why? I, it just says, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. I don't know if it means, I don't, again, that cause and effect. Yeah, I don't know, like, I waited, so then God. So in other words, if you don't wait, God won't hear you. That would be the other implication. And I'm not so sure about that, right? I'm not, that's a, that's a major claim. Then he brought me up out of a horrible pit. If you went out of a horrible pit, you have to wait. If you don't wait, you don't get out of the horrible pit. So I like, I, I'm not, I mean, yeah, yeah, some times you, from an earthly perspective, you don't get out of the horrible pit. You get out of the horrible pit ultimately. That's why I said we have to learn to wait for the right thing in the right time, right? Then next, he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. How many feel that that is written in a way that seems to indicate that he got these things only because he waited? I don't know if I read it that way. Now, if I'm missing something grammatically or the way it's structured, by all means, someone can point that out. I just have a hard time with that because the implications would be really negative, right? If you don't wait, you're not getting any of this. So your problem is you're not waiting. Well, then what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? You got to wait. Well, not only do you have to wait, you have to wait the right way. Well, what are the right ways? Here are the five ways to 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 wait, right? If you grumble, you're not truly waiting. Okay, well, then you don't get those things. If you don't do this, 
And I, I, I can see where that's, that kind of sermon series would go. And that to me would be, would be a law, 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 law type message. And I think you would leave going, well, I guess I'm never going to get these things. So I have a hard time with that. Did you have anybody else? Does anybody? I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if I agree with that in any way, shape, or form. Do we believe waiting prepares us for anything? I, I, I think waiting may lead to patience. I think that may be, I think that may be true. I think waiting may lead to patience, or at least try to develop it. Do you think waiting prepares us for anything? Like from a spiritual standpoint, we're trying to find the benefits of waiting. I'm trying to put you guys on the spot to figure this out. I know you're like, well, no, I come here for you to tell me. No, we come here to figure it out together. Okay. Okay. Okay, now we kind of talked about this in the first hour. I do believe that waiting, waiting, uh, how did I uh, state it? In the, waiting provides us a test to see how we trust. Okay, so, so I do believe that because it's easy to sit here and say, I trust in God, right? When everything goes wrong, the longer we wait for some kind of whatever, that's going to determine if we trust in God. Now we got to wait for the right thing because if we don't wait for the right thing, then we're, our trust is going to fall apart because we're, we're actually trusting in the wrong thing, right? Uh, we, we trust in God to fulfill what he actually says, not what the preachers and Christians tell us that he's going to do. So that, I think waiting does provide a test to see if we trust and if we're trusting in the right thing because you can't expect someone to, to continue to trust if you're trusting for him to fix the problem in life and he never fixes it, well, your trust is going to fall apart because you were trusting in the wrong thing. Does that make sense? All right. So I do believe it provides a test in that way. I don't know what else it, I don't know, I don't know if it prepares me to have my real needs met. I don't know if it prepares me for that. Now, the real needs met are not in this life. The real needs met are eternal, right? Not, and, and that's not going to happen here. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, let's try another one. Let's try it. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 32 to 51. We're just going to look at one verse. Now we get into Matthew 24, you know what the problems we start having, right? All right. Everyone knows, so everyone in this church should be experts on it. Matthew 24, what does 99.9% of churches in America do with Matthew 24? Come on, this is the passage that talks about famines and war and rumors of war. Okay, they think that they are immediately argue that these are signs of Christ's second coming. Please, everyone, catch on. This is a ridiculous way to read this passage. Why? Because what's the context of the passage? Everyone should know this. The destruction of the temple, right? Remember, they see the temple, they point it out, and Jesus is like, oh, you see all of this? It's all coming down. And they're like, when is this going to happen? And then he starts laying out the signs. The signs is not for his second return. 
It's for, his, for the coming of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And those things all happened prior to 70 AD. Do we believe there's parts here that seem to jump? Yes. I got no problem. But most of it needs to be understood as 70 AD. And so in a sense, he, they, he, he is told that it's going to happen. And then they are to wait to prepare for the coming of that judgment, right? Now, there we can kind of make it work into waiting. We just got to make sure because everyone does weird things with this passage and it drives me absolutely crazy, all right? Uh, Go to 2446. 2446. I'm going to go to 42 for a little context here, all right? Uh, 2442, watch therefore, for you know not know what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good men of the house hath known, and what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give him meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom... His Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. All right. Now, this is the idea. Obviously, there's a lot of elements here. In some part, this is dealing with 70 AD, but they kind of have a better idea of what's going on in 70 AD. Some of this obviously has a reference to the second coming. Now, what do you think they're going to do with that verse in regards to waiting? Here's what they're going to say. You ready? Waiting encourages us to always be prepared for Christ's return. Waiting encourages us to always be prepared for Christ's return. See, I, they, always, they do this weird cause and effect thing. Does, does waiting prepare us to be ready for the return of Christ? Do you see which, they're putting which first? Waiting first, and then that prepares us for the coming of the return of Christ. I just, I I struggle with the order they keep putting these in. I believe your belief in the return of Christ prepares you to wait. I'm flipping it around. Look, I have to believe in something if I'm going to wait for something. The belief the trust comes before the waiting. I can't wait. Waiting is not going to prepare me for the return of Christ. I have to be completely convinced of the return of Christ in order for me to wait for it. I have to be convinced of something to wait for it. I mean, y'all may disagree, but I'm just, I'm sold on this idea. I had, this goes right back to the hope. This, goes, this all connects together. So in a sense, how am I going to wait? If I am completely 100% convinced that Christ came the first time, that's what we celebrate for Christmas, and that convinces me 100% that he will return the second time, that belief then prepares me to do what? To wait. I don't think the wait prepares me for the coming It's the belief in the coming that prepares me for the waiting. If I I am convinced of something, 
I mean, I cannot tell you how many times over and over. I mean, it's, it's not the best illustration, but it's a good example. How many times? Because it, it was common for me. One good thing my parents did was they understood music was important. So one good thing is a lot of times when on New Music Day, I, didn't, I, I was able to go to school late. Because guess where I got dropped off at? In front of a record store. Right? Eight o'clock in the morning. Seven o'clock in the morning. And I waited and waited. And you know what I was waiting for there? For them to open the door to the record store. And, I, and you know why I was waiting? Because I was 100% sure that the music that I was waiting for was inside. Was inside. And I could go through all the different times I would wait. And a lot of times, guess what? They got used to me always being there. Who's this kid always waiting for, for us to open up? And they would let me open the box. I got to pull out the LP or the CD or whatever, you know, in whatever format I wanted it in. And I, and I got to do that all over and over. And I got to pick whichever copy I wanted, right? Okay. Now, I would not have been there if I didn't believe that the new music was present. I wouldn't have been waiting. I had to be convinced of it. So I, I disagree that it's the waiting that prepares me for Christ's return. It's the belief in Christ's return that prepares me for the waiting. And that's what our whole life is, right? If you, and which is, which as a, again, and I'm, look, I'm more than willing to admit it from a philosophical standpoint. It makes Christianity look difficult. It, it's hard to understand Christianity from that perspective because it goes, it defies all logic, right? I mean, if you think about it, we're waiting, we're waiting for something. Have you ever experienced the first coming of Christ? Have you ever experienced the second coming of Christ? Have you experienced a resurrection from the dead? Have you experienced a rapture if you believe in a rapture? No, you haven't believed, you haven't seen or experienced any of that. So we're waiting for that which we've never experienced or never seen. That is hard to do. Let's just admit it, right? It's hard to do. Uh, Sarah kept bringing up Abraham and Sarah in the first hour. That's a good example. They're, they're, they kept waiting for something. We're going to have a son. And there finally came a point. They were like, this, this, I, this, not, this. I don't see how this is going to happen. And then they tried to put measures into their own hands, right? And finally, when it got to the point of utter ridiculousness, right? Like to utter absurdity, then God finally stepped in. Right? Because that's the whole thing of the Christian life. We're waiting for that which we can't. All we can do is be, we believe in it, so therefore we wait. But we're waiting, and that's where the whole Christian life is described as one that is what? A walk by faith and not by sight. It can't be by sight. Look, from a sight perspective, Christianity makes zero sense in so many different ways, right? I mean, I, I, can, I, can, I, I, talk to, I talk about it all the time, and I know it offends people, but I say this all the time. When people were like, there'll be some horrible situation, some horrible tragedy, and I talked about this in the first hour, and people say, pray for it. Well, I, my logic is, I'm going to pray to the one who knew it was going to happen, did not stop it from happening, and didn't intervene in the midst of it happening, and now you want me to pray about it? I'm praying to the very one who didn't do anything to stop it. What is he going to do now? If he didn't do anything to stop it, he didn't do anything to intervene in it, he clearly decreed it, what am I going to pray for now? Hey, pray and do what? Right? So you can see more, and when I say that, Christians get very defensive, but I think it's a legitimate question to have, right? Because guess what? We would pray not because of what we see. 
We would pray not because of what we understand. We would pray because of faith to believe that, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I'm bringing the situation to you. I don't understand it because I'm literally praying to the one who didn't do anything to stop it. That's mind-blowing to me. I don't even understand how that works philosophically. I don't. It doesn't make any sense. And, 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 and when an atheist or an agnostic points that out, don't get offended by that going, I'm right with him, man. It makes no sense. That's where, but it's the same thing with waiting. I'm waiting for that. I, I, I've never experienced it, but I've got to be so convinced of it that I'm willing to wait for it. The belief must precede the waiting. So you see where all of these, I'm hoping for that which I've not, we talked about hope. This is, Advent is all about this. I am hoping and I'm waiting based off the belief of the first coming. The first coming is the key belief that then gives the hope for the second and gives the ability to wait for the second. So I don't have a good principle here. My principle would be, it's your, it's your, Firm belief and trust and past that gives you the ability to wait for the future. But it's hard to even have that because we are just trusting in God's word. So much of it is about belief and trust and that which we do not quite understand. I, I, don't, I don't believe waiting encourages us to be prepared for Christ's return. I believe it's the belief in Christ's return that prepares us for the waiting. All right? You, you, can, you can tell me if you agree or disagree. All right, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I don't know what they do with this one. This one is, some of these are just crazy. I don't, I don't get some of these. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm just going to go to the key verse. Y'all look at verse 6 and tell me what you see. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. What do you find? What does it say? 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Okay. So withdraw yourself from anyone who walks disorderly. Anything else? It's a command, okay? What's going on? Anybody know what's going on in maybe the verses before or verses after that would give you some kind of clue of what's happening here? Clearly, it's a command for them to withdraw themselves from certain kinds of people. What's going on? Anybody got an idea what's going on here? All right, let's go back to verse 1 and see if we can put it in context. All right, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the, into the love of God, into the patient waiting for Christ. There's a certain way to wait. How do we wait for Christ? Patiently. A patient waiting for Christ. Meaning, hey, you're, it's going to require a little bit of time, right? It's going to require a little bit. We don't know when it's going to happen. 
right? Patient, patience is, a, that's a whole, someone look up the definition of patience. Let's do that. You can look it up in the, someone look it up in the English and someone look up the Greek word there for patiently as, as mentioned there in 2 Thessalonians 3. I'll look up patient waiting, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. I'll look up the Greek. Someone else can look up an English word or the English for patience or patient. I'm going to New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 5. Right. The Greek word that's translated the patient waiting is this Greek word. Anybody know what it is? Yeah, I've probably heard it before. Strong's G, 5281. Hupamane. 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 She used 32 times, 29 times patience. Enduring patient continuance. Strong's definition, are you ready for this? Cheerful or hopeful endurance. Constancy. Enduring patience. Patient continuance. All right, the outline of biblical usage, steadfastness. Constancy, endurance. In the New Testament, it's a characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. So it's the idea of a certain kind of waiting. It's a waiting with great expectation. You're not, you're not, you're not moved in any way, shape, or form. Right? What is the English definition for patient or patience? Whoa. <laughs> the ability to wait basically without becoming anxious or annoyed. Okay, that's it. I'm done. All right, anybody else done? Okay, move on. Okay, we didn't come to church to get that kind of personal, right? Okay, no. I mean, how many people are good at that kind of waiting? You don't get annoyed. You don't get anxious. You're just like, eh, whatever, whatever. Oh, good. Right? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So then what's going on in the next verse then? What's going on in the next verse? He tells them to patiently wait, or to patient, I think, I I can't remember the, patient waiting. Yeah, that's how the King James puts it. What goes on in the next verse? Obviously, there's some kind of people he wants them to get away from. Who walk disorderly. Yeah, not after the traditions which they have received. So there's a certain kind of people who obviously he's contrasting. They're not patiently waiting. All right, this is how one translation puts it. You ready? Now here is a command, dear brothers, given in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the authority. Stay away from any Christian who spends his day lazy in laziness and does not follow the ideal of hard work as we've set up for you. In other words, here are people who are doing what? They're not waiting. They become, they become lazy. They don't care. They're disorderly. And they're not what? Following the traditions. They may have started coming like, you know what? What's the deal here? Now, we, we, know, we, we, we know from the book of Acts, right? 2 Thessalonians. Someone look up in the Bible dictionary real quick of the dating of 2 Thessalonians. The dating for 2 Thessalonians, when it was written. See who can find the date first. Second Thessalonians. Oh, 
All right, yeah, I've got the date here. See what y'all find. Dating for Second Thessalonians. Okay, around 50. That's what typically most people will agree it's around 50. I think most people will agree it's around 50. All right, so 50 AD. Now, does everybody remember right when Jesus was getting ready to ascend to the Father in the book of Acts, what his disciples asked him? It's in Acts chapter one, if you need to look at it. We've talked about it now a bunch of times. Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Hey, is it time now? I mean, we've done all of this other stuff. It's got to be time now. That's, that would be around 33 AD. And what does Jesus tell them? It's not for you to know time seasons. You got something else to go do. Go do it, right? All right, that's 33. Now, I'm horrible at math. I was going to actually count it out, but okay. But 17 years, because I really wanted to drag how long it was. 17 years later. 17 years is a long time to wait. A long time. Now, it may be a relatively short time compared to other waiting, but if you're there thinking, the kingdom, Israel, we're going to be done with all of these people, right? Now, by 50 AD, has situations improved greatly if you're waiting? no. Persecution has happened, especially from Jewish authorities persecuting you. The situation's not going probably so great in Rome, and you're now what? 20 years away from the absolute wiping out of Judaism from the face of the earth. And obviously, God's not about to deliver them from their enemies. (laughs) All of those promises that we read about, it's not there. So 17 years later, there was probably some looking around, and they probably started thinking what? This is a waste of time. This is garbage. Or they may start changing the teaching. Grab the Bible dictionary and look up 2 Thessalonians and tell me what kind of the, the reason it's being written. Look up 2 Thessalonians. Tell me the possible reason the book was written. Its purpose. It's, it's, it's what it was attempting to do. What was Paul attempting to do with these people? Okay. All right. So there's people facing persecution. And they've been shaken by false teaching concerning the end times, the second coming. All right, so they're being persecuted, and there's teachers going, who knows what they're saying about the second coming? Yeah, whatever the case may be, there's confusion. So then Paul's like, hey, patiently wait. Oh, and by the way, you may want to get away from these people who are going to do what? They're going to confuse you. He just told them to patiently wait. There's going to be some people going like, what are you patiently waiting for? Either one, you've already missed it. Two, it's not happening. Three, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry because it's not happening. And either way, that could be very detrimental to one's Christian life. Right? It could be very difficult for them. So this is how this is what they say here in regards to this waiting. Are you ready? This is what they say. Waiting gives us opportunity to work out our faith. 
Waiting gives us the opportunity to work out our faith. Now, I'm going to state it this way. It is in the waiting in which we work out our faith. Like, once again, they, they do this in this kind of, I keep thinking they get the wrong thing first, right? We, where do we work out our faith? In the waiting. It's in the midst of the waiting where we work out our faith. Why? Because, you know, what is the definition of faith according to Hebrews? Yeah, the evidence of things hoped for, right? It's, the, it's something that we don't see, but we grab on to it. Well, guess what? Guess where you work out that faith? In the midst of waiting because you're grabbing onto and believing in that which you do not see and have not experienced. It's the waiting that, yes, waiting gives you the opportunity to work out your faith. It's the, you work out your faith in the midst of waiting. Working out your faith, if you're not working out faith if you have everything. Well, I say that this is one of my major issues with charismatics. Charismatic theology tries to claim that basically all the promises that are in eternity, there's going to be healing, there's going to be a new heaven, new earth, there's going to be, everything's going to be wonderful. They take those promises that are meant for eternity and pulls them over and say that they were available for you now and you should have them now. But if you have them now, there's no faith. Faith, where, where, when is faith really evidenced? When you're Job and everyone's dead. And your body is wrecked with sores. That's where faith kicks in. It, it doesn't require faith when everything's great, right? Everything's great. Everything's wonderful, happy. Life's wonderful. Everything, you don't have any problems. You don't have any difficulty. That doesn't, that doesn't require faith. That just requires enjoying when it's, everything is gone, we work out our faith in the midst of waiting. The whole Christian life is waiting for a promise for which we do not see and we do not understand, but we have to take it by faith. When we work out that faith in the midst of the waiting. Does that make sense? All right. This is what they say. This is uh, what they say here. Some people in the Thessalonian church were falsely teaching that because Christ would return any day, people should set aside their responsibilities, quick work, do not future planning, and just wait for the Lord. All right, so there's some who went that direction. But their lack of activity only led them into sin. They became a burden to the church, which was supporting them. Uh, They wasted time that could have been used for helping others. This is where that whole phrase is, unless they work, they don't eat. It was a reference to that specific situation. It's not an economic policy, okay, uh, for a government. It was an economic policy for the church. And the church was, hey, we can't take care of you because you're sitting around going, well, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, so I'm not going to work because now the church has to take care of you. And it's like, well, if everyone's sitting around saying, well, nobody has to work, then nobody's going to have any money for anything in the church. It it was addressing a very specific... uh, People take that and try to turn it into an economic policy. That's not what that's about. Does everybody understand that? All right. And they became busybodies. Well, you can see why they become busybodies if they don't have anything to, to do, right? These church members may have thought that they were being more spiritual by not working, but Paul tells them to be responsible and get back to work. Being ready for Christ means obeying him in every area of life because we know that Christ is coming. We must live in such a way that our faith and our daily practice will please him when he arrives. Okay, they say waiting gives us an opportunity to work out our faith. I will argue it's working out our faith in the midst of waiting. 
right? So I, I, in some way, I'm saying the same thing. I just want to make sure we realize it is, it is the waiting that we, that's where we really work it out. That's where we really work out our faith. So their, their example there is, is halfway okay, but I think that's just a, I think it's just the way life works. As a Christian, we spend our life waiting, do we not? We, we, we have a Bible filled with promises. Do we agree with that? The Bible's filled with promises, right? 90% of those promises, we, we, we will never, it's kind of like Abraham, right? We're waiting for a city which we have not seen. We're waiting for promises which we have not grasped. Like, I, I can wait for the idea that I'll be, I'll be with God in heaven. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more tears. Everything's going to be glorious and awesome. But I'm waiting for that. I do not have it. And I will not have it in this life. So it is the waiting where I'm working out that faith. Does that make sense? All right. Now, so let's go back to the original question. What was the original question? I know we didn't get to the rest of these principles, but that's okay. What was the original question? What are the spiritual benefits gained by waiting? All right. Do we have any definitive answers? What are the spiritual benefits gained from waiting? Okay. All right. Okay, well, we'll just go through some of the principles that we've come up with, right? And the first one is, and I'm, I'm going to really stress that one. I know it's not the, that's not what they were looking for, but I'm going to stress it, that we have to learn for, to wait for the right thing at the right time or we will end up in a worse place spiritually. Like we will destroy ourselves spiritually. And what do I mean by that? We can't be expecting, waiting for God to intervene in the here and now to fix all of our problems and make everything wonderful, great, because it doesn't work that way. The promises God typically makes are those for an eternity. And those, we believe, are are absolute guaranteed promises, but we wait for those, not for the here and now. All right? Because if we don't, we're going to end up, we're going to end up majorly disappointed. Right? We're going to end up majorly disappointed. Everybody got that? Everybody understand that? Right? We, another principle and I, I think Sarah wrote, wrote it down for me, that we talked about the first hour, is waiting provides us an opportunity to, see, to test our trust. We can say we trust sitting in a pew, right? It's when everything falls apart, when everything falls apart, then we'll know how much we actually trust. So waiting provides an opportunity to test how much we trust or don't trust, all right? Was there a third principle that we derived from all of this? I'm going to say in waiting is where we work out our faith. It's in the waiting we we work out our faith. Because if I didn't have to wait, what would I not need? Faith. Yeah, it's kind of what she said. Yeah, I'm just wording it in a different way. Does that make sense? Abraham and uh, Sarah could say they trusted in God and believed in God and had faith in God. Where, where was it tested? And the waiting. Right? And guess what happened? They had some problems. Just like we do. Right? 
We should expect that. We shouldn't expect anything less. You say, well, we should all expect to never be. No, we're human beings and we have a sinful nature. We're going to do that. Any other spiritual benefit that anyone can think of that can derive from waiting, that waiting benefits us. If anybody's got one, I'm willing to hear your great insight. Because obviously I struggle with this one a little bit, trying to figure out exactly how to make it work spiritually. Now, you can see where Advent comes into play here, right? I think there's a concept here. You tell me, I don't know exactly how to word it, but I'm going to at least try to, try to just talk it out really quick. Waiting teaches us to sacrifice immediate pleasure, right? Or to delay pleasure for an ultimate fulfillment. I don't know the right way to do that, right? It's like a, we, 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 want, we want fulfillment now. We want satisfaction now. We want happiness now. We want everything in the now. Waiting teaches us to delay that for the ultimate good, right? And that's a difficult thing, right? That's a difficult thing. And I think in a sense, waiting is kind of a spiritual exercise for that, right? We, we want it now. It, Israel probably wanted the Messiah to show up, I don't know, about a thousand years before he did. And then when he showed up, what did they want? They wanted a king and they wanted Romans dead, okay? That's what, pretty much what they wanted, right? And they did not get that. Now, I wish, I wish that we could get what we want when we want it, but we don't. Waiting teaches us the spiritual principle of delayed gratification, right? We, 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 are, we, delay, we are delayed in getting the gratification we want. And that's a difficult thing in the Christian life because in so much in the Christian life, it's like, wait, wait, wait. And if you think about it, some of the spiritual disciplines really are kind of built to try to help us with that, right? Why do you go without food for fasting? Delayed gratification for spiritual benefit, right? Waiting is all about I can either try to get what I want now or I can wait for what God ultimately has and what God ultimately has supposedly is far better than what we can get now. That's what we claim, right? We claim that what God has in the future is far better than what we can have in the present, no matter how great it is. Now, what we want is a great present and a great future. That's what we would prefer to have. I mean, I would prefer to have that, right? I mean, it's nothing wrong with admitting that. But I think waiting teaches us sometimes we delayed gratification, delayed satisfaction may ultimately have spiritual benefits because we, we have to kind of deny our, I mean, that's the whole Christian life, right? Deny yourself, die to yourself, don't follow yourself. That's all, delayed, that's all denying and delayed gratification and satisfaction for an ultimate spiritual good. I wish, it, I, w- I wish I could understand that. Maybe waiting is a part of that discipline. Now, so let's put it all together. Advent is a four-week period which we focus on hope. Hope in what Christ did in the first coming that gives us a, a hope for what he will do in the second coming, Right? Second is anticipation, and we wait, and our waiting on the second coming is because of our confidence in the first coming. 
So in a sense, we do a mini kind of, it's a mini exercise. Four weeks of waiting for what? The celebration of the first coming. And that is then to help us then prepare for the longer waiting of the second coming. Every every Advent is a four-week mini exercise to prepare us for the waiting of the second coming. Now, in most Christian lives, we don't really do what they did in the past. In the past, the Advent time was, they called it a mini Lent. It was filled with fasting, going to church every day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was because it was all about preparing. You're, you're, you're sacrificing. You're putting God first because you're waiting for the first coming. Now we don't do that. Now churches cancel services. We do, we do all kinds of things because, well, we got other things to do. What? And look, I'm not even saying that in a judgmental way, right? That's just the way it works, right? Life happens. No, no matter, no, I mean, even if, even if we were to pull off church every day of the week, it would just become more of a burden than it would probably be a good thing because we have a million other things going on. So I don't know how you pull it off, but that's what it was designed for. It was designed four weeks of waiting for the first coming, celebrate that, and then that four weeks is to help prepare you for the, com- the waiting of the second coming. I wish it was that simple, but we can, we, we can take from it no matter what we do, right? Because we all know every, everything the church comes up with to try to help us spiritually, we know they typically become programs and gimmicks that rarely ever amount to what we think they're going to amount to. Because the issues are, we just, we have a sinful nature. There, there's no way to ever truly fix that. But we can tell ourselves that in what we're, this is the second Sunday of Advent, we're just, you know, we're not, we're not far away. Right? Before we know it, it's going to be Christmas, right? So we can use this time to think about the concept of hope in your life. Hope and the concept of waiting and how that should play out in your Christian life. Because I know this, going into 2024, there's going to be hopes. We need the right kind of hope and there's going to be waiting. Right? Because that's, those are things that happen in our life Anyway, all the time, right? So we just need to understand hope the right way and waiting the right way. All right, we'll stop with that. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for this season. Thank you for this time. Lord, forgive us for how sometimes we use it for more selfish reasons. But Lord, let us put our focus on you, your word, and the celebration of the incarnation of your son because it's only in him and through him that we have salvation. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said...